Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Power Trip of Wrestling, brought to you today and powered by Bombas. Bombas is a mind-blowing athletic leisure sock with a mission to help those in need. And with that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the man himself, that's right, Primetime, John Paz. And John, today on the show, we welcome in Anthony Corelli, a.k.a. Santino Morella, and what a way to get into the wide world of Anthony Corelli and the mind of Santino Morella by talking to the man himself behind both of those wonderful personalities and learning all about the Battle Arts Academy in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. We get to learn about the origins of where that came from and what actually Anthony is doing these days, rehabbing from an injury that did cost him his WWE career. But hey, one thing I will say, and we will not spoil it, he might not be done yet, but John, I want to get into what I said about the wide world of Anthony Corelli and how he's not just Santino Morella. There is a lot more to this wonderful human being than just a funny walk, a unibrow, an accent, and just the overall character of Santino Morella. Yes, Chatty Boy back again with another great episode here, and this time entering again into the world of the WWE, of course, the former WWE Intercontinental Champion, two times, Santino Morella. Now, obviously, everyone knows Santino as kind of the um, the character, the uh, comedy character, the you, know, you quite a unique character in the world of WWE. I mean, everyone remembers the Cobra, and everyone remembers a lot of his jokey skits and his backstage routines and. You know, all the stuff he did with Emma and uh, Tamina Snuka and so on and so forth. But you think about Anthony Corelli, the person, and not Santino Morella character. Santino Morella obviously is is just a character that uh, Anthony is playing. But it's just such a small facet of his, you know, real-life character. I mean, what he is in real life. 
a lot of people may not know this, but you know, you got the Battle Arts Academy up there in Canada, and <clears throat> Anthony Corelli, aka Santino, he's got a big MMA background, and he's had a bunch of MMA fights. We we do talk about it in the interview, whether they be amateur or pro, but he's got a bunch of MMA fights, and he's got an MMA background. And he really, you know, is a practitioner of judo, jiu-jitsu. He does a lot of submission grappling. So the jokey character that you see, you know, that can barely throw a punch or, you know, that, that uh, you know, is kind of just, um, you know, hip-tossing guys. But if you really, really look into it, it's like, man, this guy could probably really throw a great judo throw or, or could probably have a great hip-toss. But, you know, this is WWE Universe. This is the world of sports entertainment. You know, it's not submission grappling. So, you know, he's playing a character which he, you know, he obviously would talk about it in great detail that he loved and, and it was fun to do. But it's just a small, small facet of the, you know, the real person that is Anthony Corelli. You know, we covered a lot of topics. Obviously, we covered his title runs, his pairings, his feuds, and the things that he did, you know, while in the peak of the Santino Morella character. But what stands out to you the most about the interview? And is there anything that he said that really resonates with you looking back on it and thinking about, you know, he, he mentioned a lot of stuff about, you know, things maybe he was happy about and he wasn't and maybe being used versus not being used. But what stands out to you the most about what he had to say overall in regards to his tenure with WWE? Yeah, you know what, Chad? Like you, you know, you said what stands out the most of all the topics covered because we covered a lot and we covered a lot of cool stuff. And I don't know why it just uh, the Milan miracle kind of just sticks out to me because you know that's the first time we really get to see Santino and get to see what he's all about and and who is this guy? And obviously. Uh, he gets picked out of the crowd. He beats Umaga for the Intercontinental title. And that was just kind of the beginning. And, you know, it's an interesting um, way of being debuted. And that was just the beginning of his storied run in the WWE. So that just sticks out to me. And uh, you'll hear a great story about that and what he thought about the Milan Miracle and so on. But another thing that stuck out to me was the Honkometer. And uh, it's a great clip that we're putting up on YouTube of a you know a small clip of what he talks about it with uh, the Honky Tonk Man, and it was actually his second run with the Intercontinental Title, so that really really stuck out with me as well. And um, I really just like getting into the like as you know I kind of briefly talked about earlier with him talking about the MMA stuff, his MMA background and battle arts, and, and what he's doing today and stuff. That that kind of just really inter- you know interested me as well because. I like all the MMA stuff. I like the submission grappling. Uh, I like the jujitsu, and, and it's really interesting to know that he's, uh, you know, he's pretty much a legit tough guy away from the wrestling business. But if you look at the Santino character and how it's built and how it's portrayed and 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 you know how it's performed, he's you know kind of a jokey guy that you think you could you know that you could pretty much squash. You know, let's just say if John Cena and him, you look at him like, oh, Cena would kill him. When in actuality, in real life, Santino would probably destroy Cena, you know, with his his legit fighting background. So that kind of stuff is cool, and, and I just, just was very, very curious to see what he thought about the character. And he gives some great stories and some great details and, and some great uh, backstage stuff and a lot of good stuff on, like, locker room leadership and so on and so forth. So a lot of great stuff from Anthony Corelli, a.k.a. Santino Morella, and, and I mean, the Intercontinental title stuff. His first win and second win, both very interesting to me. And like I said, definitely, definitely what stands out is a lot of the, the MMA stuff and the comedy character itself of Santino Marella. One thing that I was like surprised but not surprised about 
was to hear, you know, in regards to the Santino character, just how, you know, it is far from his personality. And obviously you don't think that he's walking around the house, you know, in his goofy Santino walk. And, you know, you're going to think about maybe people who can't separate the character from the person. And it's one thing that Anthony mentions is, you know, maybe it might be a little hard when you first meet him if you're just a diehard fan. Um, but, you know, for us, quote, you know, insiders or the people trying to learn more and more about the business, um, it's easy to separate the perception of reality versus the character who's not real. But Anthony Corelli does a hell of a job with Santino. And you just think about down the road, you know, is it safe to say that with his personality being the way that it is, that he's going to be okay with Santino being attached to him so closely as he gets into other parts of his career and obviously establishing battle arts and yada, yada, yada. But moving forward on, is Santino going to bring him down or is he going to embrace it? You know, to touch on it again, the comedy aspect of the character, you just have to bring it up because it's kind of funny. I mean, he's okay with it, obviously, but it's so far from his real life and it's so far from his real personality. And he, you know, he, he talks a great story about how, you know, people expect him to have that voice and that accent and how funny it is and, and how they're, you know, they're expecting one thing with him and they get a complete other. So I, I definitely love that. And I love the comedy aspect where, you know, he's just playing the character. He's doing it for the WWE Universe. He's doing it for entertainment. And obviously he got over and he was on uh, TV for a very long time. And think about it. He was on every week, basically. You know, we're on SmackDown. He's always having a backstage skit. So obviously WWE was invested in him and everything else. And uh, uh, and the neck injury was unfortunate. And it kind of uh, ended his, his career and his WWE run a little too soon. But obviously, he's still doing a great job up there in Canada with Battle Arts, and uh, check out Destiny Wrestling as well if you know if you are so inclined. So interesting stuff all around from Santino, aka Anthony Corelli, and you just gotta sit back and admire the comedy aspect that he was just able to just sit there and say, "This is my job. This is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna make the best of it." You know, they're gonna give me. Uh, chicken shit i'm going to turn it into chicken salad and i'm going to do it my way and i'm going to try to you know be funny about it so great stuff from uh anthony corelli all around and a really 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 enjoyable interview yeah very enjoyable and we wish anthony nothing but the best with battle arts and also you know continuing to rehab his neck and hopefully one day you know maybe we'll be able to see santino morella come back in a specialty role at some point in the wwe but john before we throw it over to the interview and before we get into a little two-man power trip of wrestling business why don't you tell the fine folks and the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling just exactly what you want to say about the greatest sock in the history of socks, and that is Bombas. Oh yeah, Chad, that's right. Bombas is back, baby. Bombas, the greatest sock in the history of socks. Just remember their mission. Every sock purchased will be one donated to the homeless on your behalf. It is the number one requested item at the homeless shelters. So with Bombas Socks, you're not only you know supporting the mission, you're also getting the greatest sock in the history of socks. And to do a little uh, Santino Amarella tie-in, think about the Cobra. He's got that sock on the hand. I can't think of a more perfect sponsor for today's episode than Bombas. Because you can make your own little uh, Cobra, if you will, out of the Bombas sock, if you are so inclined. So just remember, Bombas is the greatest sock of all time. And 
on our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. On the upper left-hand corner is the Bombas link, so please do all your Bombas shopping through us. Now, for some more TMPT business, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at WrestlingPal and at Two Man Power Trip. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, as well, subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. Also, while you're on iTunes, check out the feed for prior episodes with the late, great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Sergeant Slaughter, Tully Blanchard, Stan Hansen, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, and so, so, so many others. It's such a great guest list. You know, uh, I just sometimes look at it and say, man, one great legend after another one great star after another one great interview after another so please check out the feed on itunes and don't forget about the i-95 sports network put it into the old google machine they even have an app so check it out it's the i-95 sports network we're on there every week so don't forget to uh check that out and don't forget if you want to book kevin thorne aka mordecai aka kevin fertig please email bookings at tmpt of wrestling.com that is to book Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai. Now, without any further ado, we send along to a very, very fun episode. An episode that we weren't quite sure what we were going to get out of it. But so entertaining, so cool to be able to interview him and get behind the character. You know, in- interview Anthony Corelli, the man behind the character. He is the former two-time Intercontinental Champion. He is the man behind the Cobra. He is Santino Morella. Please enjoy. He's a man who's no stranger to the WWE Universe. Of course, known as the fan favorite and the lovable Santino Morella. But Anthony Corelli joins us tonight. He's going to tell us all about the Battle Arts Academy. And we welcome in at this time a former WWE Intercontinental United States and Tag Team Champion, Anthony Corelli. Thank you for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, guys, and for the interest in Battle Arts Academy. Oh, it's, uh, i got to tell you something. It's actually very interesting, and it's... Uh, Really, uh, really cool to talk to you tonight. So you opened Battle Arts in September 2013, and you're up in Canada. We're, Corey, we're down in the States. But tell us about Battle Arts. And I know, you know, just when you go through the website, you guys have so many cool programs and, like, just you do a lot of stuff. So why don't you kind of tell us all encompassed what you do at Battle Arts Academy? Um, well, Battle Arts Academy is actually two facilities in one. One, it is Battle Arts Academy. And then it's the Ontario Performance Center where we do all our strength and conditioning team training, um, you know, weight loss programs, all that kind of stuff. But uh, we, we break it down. We break down MMA and we do all the things that I'm very passionate about, uh, Olympic wrestling, judo, uh, shoot wrestling, professional wrestling. And then we do, uh, you know, we got K1 kickboxing, Muay Thai, and classic American boxing. So we, we, got, we got all the uh, techniques covered. And it just happens to be an an awesome little venue that um, that people really enjoy coming to. And obviously, it's got to be a passion of yours uh, for you to put all this time into it. And now we know you've 
uh, you know, you battled some injuries yourself, which uh, forced you to retire uh, from the WWE, and you put a lot of focus into what you're doing with battle arts. But where is your passion lie in these days with mixed martial arts uh, versus wrestling, and how much of it do you actually still get involved with and uh, and battle it all, battle it out? My passion lies, I think, more in sports that are going to be able to take a kid to the Olympics. Um, you know, the the freestyle wrestling and uh, judo and boxing. I really want to see the kids get into that. And, uh, you know, if they want to do MMA, absolutely. We have awesome instructors that can get them out there and get them fights. And we have guys participating in uh, uh, kickboxing uh, currently and actively in boxing and submission wrestling tournaments. So we've got kids that are out there making it happen right now. This is the first year we registered with Judo Ontario and we registered with the Ontario Amateur Wrestling Association. So we, we really like those types of sports. MMA is awesome. I love MMA as a fan. I just want our kids to be more kind of athletes than fighters. Right. Yeah, totally. And, and now, so so where did you, where'd your interest first come in mixed martial arts and uh, and the fighting uh, styles? Because, you know, you, would, you went to the original Battle Arts Academy. So uh, where did you find that passion at first to, uh, to kind of pursue this, um, you know, from – actually from the get-go. Well, it's funny because I was always an athlete. I never saw myself as a coach. And, um, you know, over the years, you, I would help teach class and run the exercises and put on some seminars and clinics. Oops, sorry, it's my dog. <laughs> um, and then uh, I still work with the WWE. I'm just off from my injury. So while I was off, but I'm 41 years old, so I knew that I have to kind of start preparing my future so that when my career does come to an end one day, I hit the ground running with what's next. And um, when I was having lunch with Mr. Ishikawa in Japan one time, um, I was over there with WWE. This is after I, you know, I already left there. I had been on the road, and when his gym closed down, I thought to myself, "We we have to get this guy in Canada. He's, he, you know, what a valuable asset. His knowledge is." Immeasurable. It's crazy. He's like a walking encyclopedia, and he's just a great human being. So uh, I got on the phone, got a lawyer, we got him here, and now he's just teaching so many guys, um, you know, pro wrestling, submission wrestling. He teaches our kids even judo and wrestling. He's just a super coach. So would you consider yourself to be fully retired, or are you just rehabbing your injuries, or what, what would be your status in terms of uh, the pro wrestling side of your uh, your career? Yeah. Uh, my neck is improving. It's just improving very, very slow. And it improves so slow, sometimes I'm, I, I think it stops improving. But then something will happen where it's a little stronger and a little better. So um, if I don't wrestle anymore, then I'm still going to go back in, in some other aspect, whether it's managing a commentary but uh, as for in-ring ability, it's kind of a wait-and-see game right now. So all I can do is uh, I started training a little bit here and try and keep myself in shape. And I participate with the kids' classes. I do judo and wrestling with them. So I'm on the mat a little bit. Now, in your MMA career, so a lot of being said, you know, like when you actually, you know, 10 years ago or plus ago when you actually did fight, are you – Technically six and one, or are you zero and one? What what is the real story behind your MMA career? Seems to be a little controversy there. 
Yeah, well, some of the some of the uh, six and one was uh, a couple of the fights were just submissions, and there wasn't it was it was no uh, no striking. But I did that. Yeah, I had six fights. Two of them were were no striking, like uh, no elbows, no closed fist. Uh, I was striking to the body, so it's a little different federation, smaller company. But you know, I was told that it would be my MMA record because it was actual competition. Yeah. Right, which would you know totally make sense. So with you know your MMA background and everything, and you know when you were in OVW, you kind of did you know a Russian shoot fighter gimmick. Did you find it weird when you got to WWE that you were? you know, going to be eventually not going to be like that type of shoot fighter, which is kind of your background, that you're almost going to be a comedic character? Yeah, no, I mean, of course, I wanted to be that character because that's the genre, you know, I fell in love with when I was training. When you're given an opportunity and and you're aware of how slim the opportunities are, um, you know, you'll take whatever you can get and you'll just be happy. <laughs> So would you consider so all right, let's let's kinda of dig into the WWE stuff. So when you finally did get that character and you were gonna be the uh the lovable Santino, which like I said at this top the WWE universe is uh a big supporter of yours and of course we all remember the Milan miracle and coming out of the crowd and that uh opening promo with Vince McMahon. When you finally came up from OVW, um did you embrace the uh Santino character right out of the gate and uh how was the actual name pitched to you? Because I know it's uh, it's definitely one that uh, we'll never forget. Yeah, well, it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, at the time, they don't pitch it. They just tell you because you're a rookie <laughs> and you just got there. So you'll be happy with, you know, they could have called me any name. Jimmy, Jimmy Periwinkle. I would have been happy. <laughs> um, but, you know, my, my father is from Italy. And... Um, I actually got my citizenship since, so I was kind of looking forward to embracing the Italian side a little more, and um, I did. You know, I, I, I learned the language a lot better. I have actually learned it to the point where I was able to do some uh, interviews in Italy, alive on the air in Italian, and uh, I got my dual citizenship. And um, yeah, it was it was fun. It was fun. I, I enjoyed being I enjoyed being Italian. Hey, there's nothing wrong with being Italian. I could definitely vouch for that. But, you know, winning the Intercontinental title on your first night and being in the ring with uh, Umaga, that's definitely uh, – that's not something everybody can predict when their debut is uh, is going to be uh, laid out in front of them. But uh, how was it that night when you won it overseas and you get that Intercontinental title and you come back virtually an unknown and now you got to prove yourself, you know, to the American audience, the mainstream WWE audience? Was that, uh, was that a challenge or was that uh, just so awesome to be coming back home as the Intercontinental champion? Yeah, coming home with the, uh, the the IC title in in the bag was pretty crazy, but it was everything you said. I had to prove myself to my colleagues, my peers, to the audience. Um, you know, I had no problem with you know proving myself. I had to re- constantly remind myself that you know this is what you wanted, this is what you trained for, this is your what you prepared for. You are prepared for this moment. You are pre- prepared for this career. Don't be you know, don't be nervous. Like you're actually, you know, the, the plan actually came true. There's no need to be nervous. So, um, yeah, it, it was, it was, and then, and then your schedule just gets so busy that you know you don't have time to reflect on anything. You're driving to the next town and you're going and you're going and you're going, and all of a sudden, you know, six, seven years later, 
you're like, whoa, what's happening here? My neck hurts. Yeah, that's unfortunate, and that's uh, that's a big loss. You know, I know from the uh, the fan perspective that uh, you know that you got hurt, and we uh, we all hope to see you back sooner rather than later. But you know, you like I said, you know, you got that Air Connell title, and you know, I know the business was changing a little bit at that point, and uh, maybe the locker room was starting to change a little bit. But you know, is there still that uh, competitive nature between uh, the guys in the back that you know coming up from OVW get the Intercontinental title? maybe taking that from somebody else. But then, you know, again, the Intercontinental title, you know, it's had its glimpses of returning to its former, you know, quote, greatness. But uh, was that something that uh, you might have gained a little bit of, uh, quote, heat from uh, the boys just getting uh, the title handed from uh, uh, coming from OVW? Yeah, I mean, it's not real genuine heat, but it's, you can sense the disappointment and, the, you know, the what the hell, we've been working here so hard. But there's an unspoken understanding that if anyone's given an opportunity, you know, anyone from NXT, OVW, FCW, Deep South, anyone that came up and was given an opportunity, well, you can't. There's no way you can be angry at the guy for accepting the opportunity, knowing that you would have did exactly the same thing. So, yeah, a little bit of jealousy, but, you know, they don't dislike you as a person. And then you have to go and, and, and bust your ass and, 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 and make yourself deserve it. Right, exactly. And actually, you know, your second run with the IC title is, I think, the one that everybody really uh, does remember and the honka meter and uh, the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time. That was a great angle. Uh, I know it did actually lead to uh, the Honky Talk Man coming back at a uh, Taboo Tuesday or a Cyber Sunday. I can't remember which one it was. But uh, how did you like that second run as being a full-blown heel and the honka meter? Because it was every week that was pretty much the most entertaining segment uh, on Raw during that era. Yeah, it's funny because I didn't um, realize the significance of the honka meter at the time. It was pretty funny. <laughs> but a lot of people remember the honka meter. And to this day, if I'm doing a signing somewhere, uh, people always will say, I wish they brought back the honka meter. Um, so that was pretty <laughs> cool. But the second time was definitely um, – see, the first time I was the guy that was chosen, you know. And the second right. time – I feel like I earned it, and I was selected because of, you know, um, professional recognition. So it was a lot more rewarding the second time, for sure. And even the U.S. title and the tag titles, at that time, we were we earned them. You know, we were popular, and, and uh, we were working hard, and, and there was a, a feeling in the air that this might come. And then when it came, it, it, felt, it felt right. So, uh, yeah, it's the first IC title. If the first IC title was the only one I ever got, then it would have had that feeling like I always had something to prove. But since uh, there were other titles after that, um, I don't have to prove anything. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you really endeared yourself, you know, to the fan base, and uh, really, you know, and I can I can vouch for that myself because uh, you know every time my daughter watches the uh, Scooby Doo WrestleMania mystery, there's uh, Santino Morella popping up throwing uh, Cobras left and right in WWE City. But, you know, along the way, you had a lot of great pairings. You were paired with uh, Maria Kanellis, of course, and who could forget Glamorella teaming with uh, Beth Phoenix. And did you like the interaction working with the Divas and, and having that dynamic added to your, uh, you know, either your heat or your character and your, uh, you know, the response that you would get from the fans, especially with the Maria one, which was, you know, very, uh, very different that, 
you know, you played the jealous role very well, and then with uh, Beth Phoenix, you were a little bit more of the, uh, you know, the carry-on with her, you know. So it was, uh, how'd you like doing those uh, those gimmicks? It's fun, and it was fun because, you know, through my character, I'm able to portray personality traits that, you, you know, you, you can't portray in public. You can't be the jealous, chauvinistic guy, and, you you know, you can't be mean and rude and, and so it's kind of funny to to be able to play them and kind of get away with it because it's on TV. But Santino was the kind of character, like an Archie Bunker type character that educated people on what, you know, what's white, what's right and what's wrong by being the obvious, you know, choosing the wrong behavior. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, in the comedic gimmick, of course, you know, as they started to get a little more family friendly and it started to get PG, uh, you know, you yourself and a couple, uh, a couple other standouts really, you know, personified that era. And do people kind of separate when they see you, the Santino character from Anthony Corelli? Because just talking to you, you know, you can tell you have a good sense of humor. You know, you uh, you definitely uh, like to make light of certain things. But do people separate Santino from uh, Anthony very often? Um. You mean- well, generally, if I meet fans, I'm going to speak with my normal voice. So they always kind of, one of the first things is, wow, you're really different and everything. And uh, I'm, I'm used to that, you know. But, um, you know, the, the character Santino is interesting to my friends and family because uh, it's a compilation of people from where I live. You know, um, a lot of my friends' parents are all, they all immigrated to Canada. So my friends are all first-generation Canadians. And they're, they're, you know, Greek and, and Portuguese and, and Croatian. And, and all our parents have this these funny accents and funny expressions. So uh, Santino is kind of a combination of, of all these interesting, um, you know, butcher jobs of the of the English language. Another, like, kind of funny thing, you know, obviously, you know, you're doing the funny accent and, you know, that's what people know you for. But another kind of thing that people bring up is it's, you know, it's very funny, but, you know, it's kind of silly as well with the WWE Sports Entertainment. And that is Miss WrestleMania. Did you feel like, you know, maybe you shouldn't have, uh, you, know, you should have been a part of a bigger part of WrestleMania? Or did you enjoy doing that, you know, Miss WrestleMania gimmick? Uh, I'm always up for a challenge, you know. And if you get a role like that, some people would be concerned, like, oh, God, this is the end of his career because once you dress like a woman, that's it. And, and I was like, nah, I don't think so. I think I'm going to knock this out of the park. I'm going to do a really good job and just kind of uh, reverse the joke, kind of, you know. Like, uh, if the joke was supposed to be on me, well, I did such a good job. It was like I got praised for it, so it wasn't a joke on me. And it was fun. It was fun. I know the girls were pissed, but, um, you know, again, I was given the job by the boss, and you do the best you can. <laughs> that is, a you know, absolutely great attitude. Now, you said that the girls were, you know, kind of pissed. Did they say anything to you, or what was you know their their general reaction? You were kind of taking uh, one of their spots. Well, yeah, I guess the girls always have uh, something to prove with regards to their place in the industry because they they want to be viewed more. And these days, they are the girls are very technical, very smart. They're awesome performers, but they have that unspoken association to back in the day when it was just you know hot chicks and right. So. Uh, so they constantly work really hard to gain, you know, uh, respect in the industry. 
And at that time, I just kind of step in and and wasn't making a joke of women's wrestling, but I was in women's wrestling and I was making a joke. But it wasn't about women's wrestling. It was more about Santino. So I hope that I hope the girls were able to distinguish between the two because they're an integral part of our show and they do the exact same stuff as us, man. They travel, they work out, they take bumps. They do the exact same stuff we do. What are your thoughts on this Divas revolution, you know, with all these NXT women coming in and, you know, basically they're kind of like dominating the scene as far as women's wrestling and WWE right now. So what are your thoughts on the Divas revolution? If they, that's fine. If they pay their dues and they're good wrestlers and the crowd loves it, that, those are all the three elements that I require. You know, connect with the audience, have respect and bust your ass, and, um, you know, don't be afraid to uh, to hop on because it's a, it's a tough ride, it's a tough journey, and, um, you know, everyone suffers the same. So they're definitely welcome and they're definitely worthy and they're fun to look at too. Oh, no doubt about it. And you know, speaking of fun to look at, you were paired up with Emma for a little bit, a part of your, you know, I'm skipping around a little bit, but, you know, part of your last run almost there. What were your thoughts, you know, being paired up with Emma? Did you think, you know, that that was great, you know, for you to, you know, keep yourself on TV, or do you think that was maybe great for her and give her, you know, the quote-unquote rub? Um, well, at this point I was there and I was, uh, you know, just kind of pretty, oh, that's my dog, sorry. I was pretty established and everything. She was a up and coming young girl. She was really sweet, very funny. So uh, it was kind of, it was kind of for her. Uh, it was kind of for her to get her going, but she's taking the ball and run with it, so she's doing fine. Yeah, definitely. And she's kind of uh, reemerged in NXT with a completely different character. She's kind of doing like the uh, the anti comedic gimmick down there, but it is working for her. And she's building her way back up to you know the WWE. Very, very soon. Yeah, her body's like sick, man. Oh, definitely. She is, uh, she's worth a follow on uh, Instagram and Twitter. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> now, with, with you, you know, you, you made, uh, you know, like basically you created your own finisher, almost like with uh, Mick Foley creating Sako. You created the Cobra finish. And, you know, it, it, I mean, it obviously got over the WWE universe. What was the thought process going into that? Was it going to, you know, was that like basically your Mr. Sacco? No, there was a, a guy who showed me this 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 Cobra move um, uh, a, a long time ago in a bar in Japan, and I just did it one time. I tried it in the match, and I, I asked John Cena to to um, you know watch it and think and tell me what he what he thought of it. And when I came back, you know, the, the crowd laughed immediately when I did it. So. Um, he told me, you know, we kept it, and they, it just took on a life of its own. Um, entertaining move, you know, <laughs> so, so, a little bit silly, but uh, the people loved it. So we got to give them what they love. That's absolutely right. And now with Cena, is that just you were friendly with him, and, you know, you went back there, or is this kind of like he's the... Um... No, he's just my buddy. Oh, Okay. With uh, Cena, you know. It's not like anybody has to, you don't have to clear anything with him, but he's just my buddy. Okay, I thought it might have been like the, you know, like the old guard. You got to, you got to clear it with them, you know, make sure it's okay. You know, like the old police days. Yeah, I know. 
Now, his role, though, in, in that locker room, is he basically, you know, the locker room leader? Is he the captain of the ship back there? Well, he definitely was the locker room leader. But what happens is when, when guys, like, get their own bus, they're not in the locker room anymore. Um, he has his own bus. Randy has a bus. You know, Big Show, they got their buses. And you literally just don't, don't see them in the locker room because they have their own bus. But on European tours, he's still in the locker room. But but that being said, yeah, he was he was definitely the locker room leader. Um, at least I saw him like that. And the reason I, I I put him there is because of his work ethic. And he's a good guy, you know, just really good principles, morals, values, like just a, a stand-up guy. And he worked so damn hard, you could not be but awe-inspired. But this guy's this guy just can go and go and go and doesn't complain and, and whine and and that's that's what a lot he leads by example, and that's what a real locker room leader is supposed to be. And you mentioned about the bus and stuff, and you know, obviously Big Show's got his own reasons for having the bus, but you know, maybe like a guy like Randy Orton or maybe uh, CM Punk went back when he had his bus. Do you think that uh, you know might might affect the morale of the locker room that these guys almost think not that they're above it, but that they're traveling different than everyone else? Um, no, no one. You know, if anyone could afford it, they would do. It pro, it's an investment in your career. You're prolonging your your career because they have a high-quality mattress and they sleep on the same one every night. They got their fridge and their kitchen. They can make their smoothies and they can, you know, take care of their nutrition better than us because we have to search around for, you know, an IHOP and get some egg whites. Well, they got a fridge. Um, <laughs> and, and the thing is, if John Cena and Randy Orton are putting asses in seats in which I'm benefiting from because I'm on the same show. Well, I want my stars. I want my headliners and main events to be healthy because the, the more they put asses in seats, the more I get paid. And and that's that's the opinion of the, of, uh, the wrestlers in the locker room is that, you know, you, you take care of the guy that's in the main event and, you you, you know, he has some, some leeway because he's, he's feeding your family. Absolutely, and that's so well said and so, you know, so perfectly said. So, you know, you definitely make a good point there. And if I could just rewind it a little bit because I kind of wanted to touch on um, this guy because I felt like he was a bit underused when he was in WWE, and he's very similar to you as far as, you know, he's got a legit background. That was Vladimir Kozlov. I know you guys won the WWE tag belt, but do you ever get the feeling that, you know, maybe you and him or even him were – a little underused, given that you know he's got that sambo background. He's you know he's legit, and you're you know pretty legit. Yeah, but when um, well, no underused, no, because I was on TV for many many years and a long time. I mean, yeah, I, I wasn't the tough guy, but I'm also five foot ten, and um, you know, I mean, I shouldn't say I'm five foot ten as, as being a reason because you can have badasses that can kick everyone's ass at that size. You know, guys like Benoit. And, Malenko and Eddie, they were tough guys, right? Um, and, and, and had the ability, and Kurt Angle, you know, for sure. Uh, Kozlov was almost such a monster that it was actually, it's not going to be believable. I can't do anything to him. He's a monster. He's a 300-pound, ripped, sambo machine. And if at one point in the match I'm going to be on him and, you know, I have the advantage 
then it looks it's, it's fake because there's no way I can't hurt this guy. And you can see the difference. Guys like Shelton Benjamin too were so good that when it, when he did when you had any offense in the match, it looked like it was your turn instead of you were actually getting him down or doing something successful to him. It looked like it was your turn because he was just so it was so obvious that he would easily dominate you physically because of his physical abilities. Um, especially when you have a guy who's doing like some kind of phony old school chain wrestling and top wrist locks, and this guy fires off an Olympic caliber double leg, you know, you you, you got to mesh the two a little better. Uh, I think pro wrestling's evolving to a point where we can we can um, utilize these guys now that have this shoot background because guys are doing triangle chokes and arm locks and kimuras and you know. You're, they're able to 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 work um, a little more realistically now. That's definitely true because you, you know you think about all the submissions. I mean, even the Undertaker's doing um, you know go-go plazas and stuff, and I mean they're actually doing real submissions. And I remember um, you and OVW, you know, obviously you were obviously you know the shoe part gimmick, but you were doing triangle chokes and stuff, and and you know making it yep. more real and, and adapting MMA into wrestling. Do you think that's the next? step where, where maybe more guys will be adapting that MMA style into pro wrestling? Yeah, for sure. Oh, sorry. There, there was one other thing about Kozlov that I forgot. It, um, back in the day when there was territories, you have a guy like Kozlov who comes in and he destroys everybody until he works his way up to the champion and then he loses and then he goes to another territory. But now we don't have that. So every time there's a big monster like Umaga and Rusev and Kozlov and all these guys, once they lose, it's just like a glow stick that doesn't glow anymore. It's just a stick, you know? Um, so so it, it's it's tough to really keep these monster guys fresh once they once they lost, you know, because they, they lose their whole mystique. They're, they become human, and they lost the thing that made them different from everybody else. Uh, but that being said, yeah, we train our wrestlers here to be able to do WWE style and to be able to do a work shoot, MMA-oriented, a pro wrestling style, because um, now we have the task of making these people believe that it's real, you know, temporarily. But we already told them it's not. So we have to become even super realistic and make it look like a, a, a UFC-type fight mixed in, obviously, with some professional wrestling storytelling. But uh, we teach that here. We want every wrestler to have an amateur wrestling base. And if you come to my gym and you're 23 years old, you say I want to be a wrestler, and you haven't done any amateur wrestling, but you're going to concurrently do Olympic freestyle wrestling, judo, and pro wrestling uh, because you need that base. You know, you need – I can't go become a professional basketball player. I never played basketball. So what makes you think you can be a professional wrestler when you weren't an amateur wrestler? It just blows my mind. you got to be – mind you, it's not just amateur wrestling because pro wrestling is basically MMA with pins. Uh, if the UFC had a three, uh, a, a pin, like you can pin someone for three seconds, that'd be pretty, pretty interesting. I think they should that try is. and do that. True, because you, you mean you make great points, and I feel like, um, you know, with guys coming up and coming into the business, I feel, you know, not that they need to have you know, such a you know, wrestling pedigree, but I feel like they definitely should, like you made the point, they should have a little bit of a wrestling background or be trained a little bit in wrestling. Everybody should, yeah, absolutely. That's the foundation. 
Now, wrestling is definitely a great form form of grappling. Yeah. I always felt, even with MMA, wrestling seemed to be, like, not the best foundation, but you could make an argument that it was the best foundation for an MMA fighter. And why not, you know, why wouldn't it be for pro wrestling, too? Yeah, judo is awesome. Brazilian jiu-jitsu is awesome. We also do submission wrestling here, which is probably the best. You know, catch is catch can and shoot wrestling. That's that's cool. It's almost like a little uh, little Japanese style to your training, yep, which obviously. So. Our head instructor is Yuki Ishikawa from Japan, so we definitely have some Japanese style here. Now, as we start to wind it down here, I wanted to touch on um, Ishikawa for a second because I know you had spent some time in Japan. Do you like that style more? I mean, obviously, battle arts definitely with Ishikawa definitely goes into that Japan style. Do you like the you know the Japanese style more so? Uh, well, at, at the at the most popular level, the pro wrestling is pro wrestling, so it's the same. But the style we did, I, I liked very much. Um, what I liked was the the professional attitude that the Japanese wrestlers had. They came in every morning, they did their hundreds of squats, and they did their push-ups, and they had that dojo mentality. <laughs> and I grew up in a dojo doing judo. So I just, here in Battle Arts, we blended the two. This is a pro wrestling school, but it's a dojo, and it's a gym, and it's all those things rolled into one. And that's definitely something, you know, special about the Battle Arts Academy. It's very cool. But if I go back to you for a second, what would you say? Because I know, you know, obviously you had a story career and you've wrestled a lot of the greats and you know you've had a lot of you know historical moments but what would you say looking back in your career would be your favorite match or maybe a couple of matches that were your favorite uh, yeah I guess Elimination Chamber was pretty cool um, so, some mania moments were pretty cool uh, but but most of my favorite matches would have been on like European tours or, or non-televised events those are always the best now, we've heard that from some other wrestlers. Why is that? Is it because you guys get more time to, you know, wrestle and, and show what you got? Or is it the crowds are better? Um, well, both. Because you have that time to to take your time and tell a story, and when you have the, the, the right amount of time to tell a story, then you'll get the better reaction from the fans because it's, it's, it's told better. So, yeah, most of it's the time. You know, there's less time constraints. You can, you can go out there and feel when it is that you've got it right, and when you got it right, then it, then you can take it home, you know, instead of having to hurry up and do it in three minutes because of the commercial coming. That is so true, and it's funny because, we, you know, we've heard some other wrestlers say, you know, they kind of like those house shows and those tours because they get to get more of their stuff in and they get to, you know, really, really show what they got instead of having, you know, maybe five minutes on TV or maybe having like an eight-minute match and then, then it gets cut short. Or maybe you have a commercial in between, so I can definitely well, see. Well, because it, it's actually the it's actually the opposite. Like for example, let's say I had a four minute match on TV, and then I had a ten minute match at a live event. I'd probably do the same amount of moves. I would just have the opportunity to sell and take mm. my time, and that's what makes the match better. Gotcha. Makes perfect sense. Do you think that selling nowadays has a uh, has become a lost art, or do you think that it's still there? Um, so, well, there's so many different little rules to selling, and you have to sell proportional to what's been done to you, and you got to make sure you don't go from zero to hero. And, and um, man, when you 
it's selling's everything. Selling is selling is everything when it comes to wrestling. If you're a good seller, you can have a career. You don't even have to be able to wrestle. You just gotta sell good. Um, a lot of guys they want to do moves and they they don't even realize that someone did a big move to them and they kind of got up and gave them back a move. They don't even realize the implications that that has on 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 everything that's taking place. So yes, selling is selling is the biggest. And that seems to be a big issue, you know, with, uh, you know, a lot of the old timers, if you will, you know, like the older guys are saying, you know, hey, slow it down a little bit, uh, sell a little bit more, you know, you'll get, you know, better crowd reaction, yeah, and so on, maybe get a little bit more heat on, you know, on the heel. Yeah, and, and if you think about it, if I'm telling you a story and I'm saying, uh, you know, whatever, there was a guy that lived down by the lake and, you know, his family was poor, and, or if I said to you, the guy that's down by the lake, his family's really poor. You, you, you can't follow it. It's just too fast. And one is literal storytelling, and one is, is uh, you know, symbolic or hypothetical storytelling. But they're storytelling. So when you're telling somebody a story, yeah, slow it down. Let them digest it. And, um, you know, you're going to speed up at, at the right time. I'm not saying go slow motion. But, you know, even imagine someone's eating and you're like, hey, hey. You're going to choke if you chew that fast. Slow it down. Hmm. Another great point. That's so true. Now, I know we were talking about, you know, your favorite matches and stuff, but was there any matches in WWE or maybe, you know, elsewhere where it's quote-unquote dream match, a match that you weren't able to get that you always wanted to wrestle? <clears throat> yeah, of course. I'd like to do some... Um, some good wrestling matches, you know, we can get some double legs and some judo throws and just showcase submission wrestling a little more. But, uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe if I retire one day, maybe I'll go and back to Japan and do that. Or maybe I'll wrestle at Battle Arts. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a specific guy that, you know, you have in your mind where you're like, I really need to wrestle that guy? Like in Japan, um, Kazuchika Okada is kind of, you know, the new ace over there. I mean, Tanahashi's still big, but he's kind of like the new ace. Is there somebody out there like that where you like, man, I'd love to get my hands on him. We'd have a great match. Uh, no, not, not really. Uh, I mean, of course, I have some friends that I would like to wrestle. Um, so, uh, John Cena, Randy Orton, those kind of guys. But, um, yeah, no, there's, there's no one specifically that I would, um, I don't know. That's a hard question, I guess. Please tell the fans, the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling, where they can find Anthony Corelli. Oh yeah, you can go find me at the Milan Miracle on Twitter. No, sorry, sorry, just at Milan Miracle. That's Twitter. Um, Instagram's the Milan Miracle. But you know, BattleArtsAcademy.ca. There's always updates and stuff happening there. Uh, I'm, pre- I'm pretty on Facebook. It's just Anthony Corelli. So I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm kind of active. I'm always kind of updating for, for work and giving people the uh, the state of the union, so to speak, with regards to battle arts. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Anthony. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate you taking the time and uh, 